Good morning and happy Mother's Day. Good to see all of you. This morning we have opportunity to look at a marvelous passage of Scripture. A couple background comments to get us acclimated to it. First of all, if you have your Bibles, you can open those to Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36. But yes, let me give you a couple pieces that set the scene. Jesus has been invited to have dinner at the home of a Pharisee. Now, we are used to Pharisees being Jesus' opponents, and indeed, most of the time they are. But here's an instance where there is a rather cordial meeting of Jesus and a Pharisee. So the relationship between Jesus, the teacher, and this other group of teachers is a complex one. It can go either way. As we'll see, Jesus, the teacher, is going to have a lesson for the teacher in this case. Also, we'll notice at this dinner party, there is someone who comes in unexpectedly. Now, we have to sort of change our mindset from what we think of as homes as private space. It wasn't that way a lot of times in the ancient world. In the ancient world, it was very common for homes to have open doorways out right onto the public street, and animals or a person could wander into the courtyard, say, and all of a sudden there'd be somebody in your house. We'd be unnerved by that, but it wasn't quite as uncommon in those days. As Jesus and the guests gather for dinner at the Pharisees' home, you'll notice that they recline for the meal they recline. Literally, they, they lay down kind of half on their left elbow with their feet trailing out back on kind of couches. This wasn't something that happened every day, but especially for uh, special occasions, festive occasions, they reclined for the dinner. So you'll notice that. Now, as I read, I want you to do something. Pay attention to something that grabs your attention. What do you particular, particularly notice in this passage? What stands out for you? And afterwards, I want you to turn for just a minute to somebody near you and share one thing that stood out for you. So pay attention whether you just listen or are reading along. Here we go. A certain Pharisee asked Jesus to eat with him. So Jesus entered the house of the Pharisee and reclined at dinner. Now, there was a woman who was a sinner in the town. When she found out that Jesus was dining in the house of the Pharisee, she brought an alabaster jar of expensive perfume. Then she stood behind Jesus at his feet, crying, and she began to wet his feet with her tears. She kept wiping his feet with her hair and kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he thought to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of person the woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, teacher, speak. Jesus said, there were two debtors who owed money to a certain creditor. The one owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. When they were not able to pay him back, the creditor canceled the debts of both of them. So which of them will love the creditor more? 
Simon answered and said, I assume it is the one for whom the creditor canceled the greater amount. Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. Then Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with expensive perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. That's why she has shown so much love. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. Now the other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? But Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All right, now turn to someone near you and just share one thing that stood out for you about this scripture reading. Go ahead. I'll give you a couple minutes. You're allowed to pass, but see if you can share with someone else one thing that stood out. Okay, uh, begin to conclude your comments. Thank you for your sharing. So we have a dinner party at Simon's house. His guests include Jesus. Suddenly there is an unexpected person there, a notorious person, in fact. Uh, We never learn her name. She never says a word. But she does some remarkable things. And Jesus draws attention to those remarkable things. And he identifies just what they mean. The woman's actions are indeed remarkable. They are, in fact, extravagant. And they are uncomfortable. There's all this touching. A woman touching a stranger, a man who is not her husband. Can you imagine that? Touching his feet repeatedly, crying on him profusely, unbinding her hair in public, wiping his feet with her hair, kissing them repeatedly. I mean, this makes you blush. It makes you look away. Don't they know the school policy? Didn't they read the employee's manual? No PDAs? Her actions are extravagant, and they are uncomfortable. There's all this perfume. She applies it over and over again. The house starts to smell like that counter at Macy's, you know, the one where they have the signature fragrances, 
There's Elizabeth Taylor and Beyonce and Taylor Swift, and they're all wafting together in the air, and it hits you pretty hard. It's kind of over the top. The smell decibels are off the chart, and there you are at Macy's, and you're hand-in-hand with your wife, and you're walking towards that counter, and she's so happy to be headed towards that counter, and just a sudden, you realize, I need some drill bits. Catch up with you later, honey. And you head for the escalator, and down you go as fast as you can to the basement and breathe in some peat moss and engine oil and come back to sanity. It was kind of like that. Her actions are extravagant and uncomfortable. And there's all this emotion, all this emotion. Where does it come from? Something has touched this woman at a deep place in her soul, a place that has been buried, a place that society and religion have helped bury. But now the tomb is empty. Something's been released. There is new life coming forth. Something about Jesus has released it for her. The perfume, the perfume she planned, but the tears, the tears just come unexpectedly. They are like a flash flood. They pour over the sandbags of personal and social inhibition. She can't stop them. The floodgates are breached and and the love is flowing. Where does all this emotion come from? I'll tell you where it comes from. The woman is Jewish. She has always believed in God. What her body has just recognized for her is that God believes in her. God believes in her. Jesus does not forgive this woman. That's what some of the other guests think. But Jesus does not forgive her. Jesus announces that God has already forgiven her. That's where all the tears are coming from. That's where all the love is coming from. She arrived at the dinner forgiven, and Jesus announces that. And just in case she or anybody else had any doubts, Jesus gives her the credit. Your faith has saved you. She's already defying gravity, and Jesus simply confirms it. Your own wings have set you free. God has acted powerfully in a woman's life. Jesus draws attention to it. And when God acts powerfully in a person's life, um, it can be hard to handle. Yeah, it can be hard to handle. When God becomes very real to a person, others may find it uncomfortable. I was pastor in Denver. I worked with the youth. It was wonderful. One of the teens was a very nice, kind of quiet 15-year-old. She played in the high school band. She uh, liked to ski. She liked to hang out with her friends. She lived a little bit in the shadow of her older sister. She was talented and a little insecure and a little self-absorbed. In short, she was normal. She was normal. I'll call her Ashley One day, Ashley came home from school. It was a day like any other day, nothing special. No one else was home. That was normal. She went into her room. She threw the backpack on the floor. She kicked the clarinet case underneath her desk. She flopped on the bed. (sighs) 
There was the nightstand right next to the bed where it always was. There was the lamp. There was her Bible on the nightstand where it always was. It had dust on it. For some reason, Ashley picked up the Bible. She opened it randomly. The pages fell open to the 23rd chapter of Job. And she read these words. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. That's it. And something happened. Something happened. She wasn't reading those words. Those words were reading her. It was like the walls of her house just came down, like the roof came off, like the whole neighborhood was erased. And there she was standing before the open sky with nothing else around and those words speaking right to her. It was kind of like sometimes you have the experience, the sermon is speaking right to you. And how did the preacher know that? It's kind of like that, only magnified. There she was, standing all alone before these words, and they were speaking right to her. And yet it wasn't a scary thing. It wasn't scary at all. She was flooded with feeling warm and embraced and cherished and loved and cared for. She was completely at ease, and yet at the same time she was ten times as awake as usual. She felt completely enfolded, and yet there was a lightness. She felt free. She laid there listening to her own breathing, and she reached up and touched her face. It was wet, very wet. She had been crying. She had no idea. She wasn't sad. She was light. She was full at the same time. She was so full of belonging it was hard to describe. It was almost too much. Now, Ashley had good parents. Good parents. She had a good relationship with her parents. So when they came home that evening, she told them what happened. She told them everything. And they listened. And they acted supportive. You know, that's what parents are supposed to do. They had no idea what to say. Dinner got finished up and Ashley left for homework and her parents were left in the kitchen by themselves. They started to talk. They were concerned. She always did have kind of an active imagination. Remember when she was younger? She used to talk to that imaginary friend all the time. Remember? Yes. Yes. They talked some more. Hormones. Those affect teenagers. Hormones. Yes. There's a lot of peer pressure today. Oh, yes. And achievement pressure. Do you think we pressured her? Next morning, Ashley got on the bus for school. Her mother made a beeline to her bedroom. She was looking. She looked for drugs. She looked for alcohol. She looked for black nip lipstick and black nail polish. She looked for signs of cutting, signs of tattoos, Signs of piercing. She looked for heavy metal CDs. She looked for tarot cards, a Ouija board. She didn't find anything. She found Ashley's diary. She picked it up. 
and she felt guilty, so she put it back down without opening it. She made an appointment with the school counselor and the school nurse and the band director and the track coach. She talked to all of them. That night, she called a few of Ashley's friends' parents. No? Nobody noticed anything unusual. Nothing. So Ashley's parents went to see the pastor. They talked for a long time. Pastor listened for a long time. Finally, the pastor asked a question. What if it's real? What if the Spirit of God has touched your daughter's life? Well, I hadn't thought about that. These were good parents. These were good parents. These were Christian parents. They believed in God. They believed God is always there. They just never expected God to show up. They never expected that someone like them could have an experience of God. And it was uncomfortable. Over time, the threat gave way to the beauty. Ashley was baptized later that year at Rocky Mountain Camp. God had showed up in her life, and it was a beautiful threat. (laughs) That happens. You know, God exists, and God can show up. And God can show up when we least expect it. And God doesn't seem to be all that concerned if the showing up scrambles our egg. God transforms lives, and it is beautiful, and it is threatening. Oh, just ask Simon. One of the most beautifully threatening things that Jesus does is to rename people. He renames people. He takes people whose label and fate Society is already figured out, and Jesus turns the label and the fate on its head, turns it upside down. He messes up the system. That's threatening or liberating. Depends on your perspective, doesn't it? Jesus observes an intruder at a dinner party, and he says, she is the one who has acted like a host. The host, and in fact the whole town, have labeled this person a sinner, someone out of favor with God. But Jesus renames her forgiven and saved. That's beautiful and threatening because it messes up the system. Simon is a Pharisee. He's trained in the scriptures. He's a teacher of scripture. He's a spiritual leader. He would never have made God in his own image, but he did make God in his own comfort zone. And there's a lot of Simon's descendants still around, isn't there? Some people have God in a box. Jesus is a box cutter. He is always snipping straps and popping lids. Jesus renames people, and it is beautiful and threatening. Jesus says notorious sinners 
are people with the highest potential for love. That's beautiful and threatening. That's a renaming that can turn a whole world upside down. And what if Simon embraces Jesus renaming? What if we embrace Jesus renaming? If Jesus says sinners are people with great potential for love, if Jesus has hope for them, if Jesus believes that through them the world can change, can, can we have any less hope in them? It's beautiful and it's threatening. Over the last couple of weeks, some of us have had the opportunity to be guests at a dinner party. The servers and the entertainment were people whom society has labeled criminals. And they are. And they're also more. We had a chance to see the more. We had a chance to see the more that God sees in them. And knowing that God sees more in them changes how we see them, doesn't it? Hey, Jesus told a criminal he would be with him in paradise. That's beautiful and threatening. What Jesus is doing in renaming is showing us what the reign of God is like. He's showing us what the reign of God is like. And God's reign messes things up. And God's reign is showing up, showing up in people that walk in off the street, people that we don't think belong, people that have labels about being on the periphery. God's reign is showing up. And so my suggestion to you, friends, is buy a helmet because people's religious systems are going to be crumbling all over the place. But I would also say to you, don't worry. Don't worry. The normal teens and the renamed women are going to pick up the pieces and they are going to build something beautiful.